Welcome, everybody, back to The Rooted and Edified Show. I'm your host, Katty Lias, and you are joining us for a special, special episode titled East Meets West, Communism, Liberty, and Patriotism. And to join us for this special topic, we have amazing Kim Parker. Happy dance for you. Woo, woo. <laughs> Very excited to have you on here. Before I explain a little bit more to you about Kim Parker and we dive into our topic, I wanted to remind you of a few things about this podcast. This podcast is sponsored by and part of Beautifully Rooted, which is a Christian mental health and education corporation. And this show, The Rooted and Edified Show, is a fun-loving, no-facade, Bible-believing, conservative Christian worldview show for both men and women who want to hear about the four T's, which are testimonies, topics, talents, and theology, of course. And if we can get a few laughs on the side there, we are totally happy with that. We want to encourage you to grow deeper in a relationship with Christ and more mature along your walk. And if you've watch this episode or heard it and you're just excited about what we are doing and you want to help us in some way, feel free to contact us through our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com. And Beautifully Rooted is started with B-E-Y-O-U. Now, welcome again, Kim. We're so happy to have you here. And I want to tell you more about this amazing woman. Kim Parker says that she's a work in progress, but I think she's pretty great. She says she's a beloved child of God, amen, and a sister in Christ. Her other credentials include EDD, MSW, and LCSW, and she'll explain what those things are in just a few minutes. She is the co-founder and executive director of an amazing organization called the Association of Christians in Health and Human Services. She has worked in the social work field for over 20 years in community mental health, foster care, and private practice settings, so she knows her stuff. She's an immigrant American of Asian descent and passionate about biblical inerrancy, truth, and grace. She's also the author of a self-help memoir, East Meets West, Parenting from the Best of Both Worlds. And Kim lives in Texas with her husband and three children. Boys, yes? Yes. They're not children so much anymore. Teenagers and one young adult. <laughs> well, Kim, along those lines, would you tell us just a little bit more about yourself and introduce to us the Association of Christians in Health and Human Services and tell us a little bit more about East Meets West? Sure. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. I just want to emphasize the part about work in progress. When I was a single in my 20s going to a singles fellowship in the Northern Bay Area, I remember there was a young man that called himself a work in progress. And I just, at that time, I did not understand what a work in progress was because I was also a baby Christian. I had become a Christian in 1993. And so I thought, you know, being a Christian was being about good and godly. And so how could people be talking about like a work in progress? So slowly, slowly it hit me that, boy, just because you accept Christ and make him Lord and Savior of your life does not mean that you're all good now. It's still God is still working out our impurities, our sinful natures, even our imperfections. And the word sin in the Greek is just missing the mark. Yeah, so I want to emphasize that part about my bio that I'm a work in progress. I've made plenty of mistakes on my way to being a a more mature Christian, a more mature wife, a more mature mom, and also just a more thoughtful, ethical, competent social worker. So my, I got my MSW uh, in 1998 from San Jose State University. Then I 
I worked for 21 years and decided to go back and get my doctorate of education, EDD, and uh, did work as an LCSW, licensed clinical social worker, for 18 years. And then I uh, took a little break, so I'm a little break from the clinical work right now. Started the Association of Christians in Health and Human Services, and that is a nonprofit organization we started in the summer of 2020 during the pandemic lockdown. Who would want to know more about the ACHHS, which are the initials? Yeah, so if you want to hear more about the Association of Christians and Health and Human Services, please visit our website, www.achshshealthandhumanservices.org. We exist to support all the faithful Christians out there who hold the Bible up high as an inerrant word of God, and also that it's still living and active and breathing and still has relevancy to our lives today, either in our personal lives or on our professional lives, and that we want to support the Christians that are in health and human service professions, such as social work, counseling, human services, healthcare, mental health, all the different ranges to be able to do their work well, competently, with the highest ethics, but not have to compromise our biblical worldview, our biblical beliefs. The world has gotten to be such a controversial, confusing, polarizing place right now, and Christians need a support group. We need a home to support both Christians professionally as well as Christians in our faith. Amen. And I love that you guys support a historic, traditional, biblical understanding. So I love that. You want to tell us just a little bit about your your memoir? Yes. East Meets West was written and self-published through a uh, Westbow Press, a Christian publishing agency, uh, in 2016. Uh, at that time, I was encouraged by my social work mentor, who is now deceased, Dr. Helen Mendez Love, to Right, share my story of just being Asian American, really Vietnamese, Chinese American, and uh, being a social worker and raising kids in this culture. At that time, there was a book called Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother that kind of pit Eastern culture and religion as superior to Western. And I did not like the whole pitting part. I wanted to be that there was good in both cultures. And so my parents were also aging. And so I wanted to share their story of coming to America from a communist country, loving this country, loving the liberty that we have here, and just reaping the positives of Western culture. I feel that I have reaped the positives in terms of learning about psychology and learning about valuing the individual, children's rights, and all of that. And so I wanted to share the best of each culture in the book as I was parenting my young kids at the time. So I kind of regret the title of the book. I like the East meets West part. However, I have joked about it with some of my children, especially my oldest, that it wasn't parenting from the best of both worlds. I've made plenty of mistakes. And so it's almost like East doesn't meet West, you know, during the times of conflicts. And also it's like parenting from the worst of both worlds because we've had some major, major mistakes and major conflicts that 
doesn't live up to the title of the best, but it's a ideal, um, you know, about, I wanted to draw the beauty of some of the Eastern culture about honoring parents, being harmonious, letting people be and accepting things, being mindful, and just also just being an immigrant and being a, a minority, ethnic minority growing up in a majority white American culture, white Christian culture. And so I kind of wanted to share a little bit about that, what it's like, because we didn't grow up with hating America as being white supremacist, because that was not our experience. And as all white Americans as being racist, that wasn't our experience either. And so I wanted to share that story, broadening out why we love this country too. And then also just some of the, the good things about this country. And we're so glad that you're going to be sharing that story with us today. I think it's super pertinent. And I thank you for your honesty about the book and the title. And if somebody wanted to go and find it, where would they find that? They can find it on Amazon and they can also find it on Westbow Press or they could just Google it. East Meets West Parenting, Kim Parker. And uh, I'm on Goodreads. I'm on a whole bunch of Christian bookstores and websites. And it sounds like you're ready to write the second book. That's what I heard. (laughs) The sequel, the real story. There you go. So thanks again so much, Kim, for joining us today, especially around this time when most of the nation is open to people celebrating patriotism and celebrating the freedom that we have here and liberty that we have here as the 4th of July comes up. This is a great story to hear all year round. Some people need the reminder and maybe even the green light that it's okay to be patriotic. And also, they probably need to hear the realities of what it looks like to live in another country where it is where there isn't freedom and liberty. And where there's not overwhelming joy or cause to be patriotic. Before we jump into your story, I want to throw out a few statistics that I heard recently at a conference that I was at not too long ago. It might get your wheels spinning a little bit. Admittedly, I don't know the source, but they don't sound too far off from reality, so you're, feel free to go fact check them. I just think that even what it points to is very, very interesting. One in three millennials have a favorable view of communism. That's a lot. of Americans today would vote for a socialist. That's a lot. 65% of Democrats and 70% of millennials think positively about socialism. 55% of women would rather live in a socialist society. You know, I think it's really, it's, it's unfortunate that some people want to overthrow the freedom and the liberty that we have here, trying to undo all of what was worked for. There was so much sacrifice that was given to make our country the way that it is now. And they're looking for, I think, some sort of utopia, some sort of erroneous envisioning of what they think socialism looks like. And what was pointed out to me is that a lot of times these people have a view that is completely omitting the presence and the impact of sin in that same socialist society. And I think also they're looking for some sort of utopia without God, but we'll kind of get into that later. Kim, you are so rich in knowledge as to the history of Vietnam and its dynamics and also in regards to American culture. And as such, you've developed such an interesting perspective of both the East and West ways of living, thinking and the realities of East culture. And the best part is that now you're a believer. That's the best part of this all. And you've really developed a passion for 
standing behind truth, liberty, and freedom. So to get started, would you please share with us the bones of your testimony, your experience growing up in Vietnam and moving to the United States and fleeing communism and what God did in your life? We would love to hear so much about that. Sure. So it's it's a, a lot to share about world history and what happened. So I'll just give a quick bird's eye view of it. Vietnam is uh, in Southeast Asia, a little bit under China. I don't know if you know the history of China. They've existed many, many centuries, and there's lots of different dynasties and lots of tribalism throughout the years, wars. I mean, you you think about wars in America and in the West, it pales in comparison to the history of wars in China itself. If you look at the map of the world, it's on YouTube. There's a video, I think it's called The History of the World. And if you see the timeline from way back in BC to AD, there is several different dynasties of emperors that rose and, and, and fell in power in China. And so with all of these wars, there are Chinese immigrants throughout the neighboring countries. So Korea, Japan, Philippines all have Chinese people, Malaysia, Vietnam, and Indonesia, Singapore. So so that's why today you hear Malaysian Chinese, Singapore Chinese, Vietnamese Chinese, uh, Filipino, there's Chinese population in there too. So my parents, my mom was born in China, but when Mao Zedong came into power in the 1940s, and he led the Cultural Revolution, which was just uprooting everything that was traditional, Confucius, about there was like classical learning, there were books, there was just lots of culture that was very rich. But he led a revolution to uproot everything for the new way, which is more of like an authoritarian communist way. So it's called the Mao's Cultural Revolution. And he led it with a whole bunch of youth, just getting all the youth involved. And they were called Red Guards uh, folks. And so they were very, very militant. There are several folks that are sounding of the alarms of Mao's cultural Red Guard revolution, just from the history of what they've gone through in China. And they're sounding the alarms here because they are Chinese immigrants who have lived through it like my parents have. There's one called C. Van Fleet on Twitter. C is X-I, Van Fleet. She will be coming out with a book about the similarities between Mao's cultural revolution and what we're seeing in leftist movement in America today. And then also uh, Lily, Lily for Liberty, <laughs> Lily Tang Williams on Facebook. She talks a lot about her experience there too and coming here in the 1980s in her 20s. But my mom was born in in China, and so her family moved to Vietnam when she was a young girl. So that's where she met my dad, married my dad. My dad, also his father is Chinese and his mother was Vietnamese. So technically, I'm three quarters Chinese, even though I I was born in Vietnam. And I'm a little bit more fluent in Vietnamese than than in Chinese, any of the dialects. And so... um, 
Vietnam at that time was a colony of France, so it was called French Indochina, and the whole area was. So there's also Cambodia, Laos, and um, the surrounding areas. Ho Chi Minh was a general that went abroad. He was from a wealthy family in the north, in north northern Vietnam, and he went abroad to study, and he wanted to find out ways, enlist ways to help overthrow the French when it was a colonizer of Vietnam. And so he went to America, asked the American president for help and they didn't wanna get involved. It was, I think it was either JFK at that time or the president after him, I think. Then he also went to Russia to, that time it was the Soviet Union to, to study under, I believe it was Lenin. And so he had these, because America did not help to overthrow the French, he had communist help. He led a, a war from the North to overthrow the French. And at that time, it happened in about, I believe, 1945. And so Vietnam was partitioned into two, North and South, the French left. But they left a lot of culture, like Catholicism and a lot of like capitalism and, and all of that. Um, some, And so the southern part of Vietnam was friendly towards the French and wanted to keep the democracy and wanted to keep the way of, of governing. So they had its own president. It was unstable at first because it was a young, young country. And then the north was ruled by Ho Chi Minh. So with it being two different countries, Ho Chi Minh still wanted to continue to spread the war to the south and make it one country. So the the southern Vietnamese had its own government, had its own president, and were friendly towards Western influence and Western culture and freedom of religion, where they have the Catholics. And the North was under communist rule, under Ho Chi Minh. And so they did not like the religious aspect some of the Catholics that were in the North fled to the South when Ho Chi Minh came into power because, again, it was pretty much communism is a one-person rule. It was one religion, which is the state control. Not No other freedoms was allowed. The Catholics fled from the North to the South. The war continued when Ho Chi Minh continued to fight. And so the South relied on Western allies to help the invasion, really, from the North. They relied on the United States, Australia, Canada, some of the other countries were allies. But mainly the United States was our biggest ally in the South. Unfortunately, with some influences and some rhetoric from the North about, you know, equality and prosperity for everybody and let's fight the colonizers and all of that. It was very catchy in America. And so America has a lot of the uh, flower children and the anti-war protests going on in the universities led by the young people because they thought America was being this big imperialist country that was trying to take over Vietnam when really the South Vietnamese were trying to fight for their freedom as a country, a, dem a young democracy. So there were a ton more South Vietnamese soldiers, maybe two million, that died in the war 
from the 1950s to 1975 when it ended and America pulled out. So America pulled out forces in 1973 at the Geneva Accord in 1973. And that was probably due to the pressures from home being, let's not get involved, let's not fight, you know, them and all this. And so it was just narrated all completely wrong. And the, the communist rhetoric was more successful, unfortunately. When the communists took over two years after this uh, ceasefire in 1973, the communists still continued to advance towards the capital of Vietnam, which was Saigon at that time. It has since April 30th, 1975 was when Saigon fell to communist north. That city has now been renamed Ho Chi Minh City after the general. But the general did die in 1968, but his forces continued. And so now it's one communist country. We have a lot of relatives still in Vietnam. However, there were a ton of people that left in 1975 that fled when the communists took over. They were either in the government or they had the higher education and they knew what it was going to be like. My family were middle class and we could not flee, but we prepared to go to the countryside to escape. So we did that in 1978. We escaped by boat. There were lots of people that were escaping by boat. At that time, they were called the Vietnamese boat people or Southeast Asian boat people. And so on the news in America, I was told that there were news about boat people escaping Vietnam and and going into the surrounding refugee camps. And my family, my dad and myself and four siblings escaped in the middle of the night in October on a little rickety boat. So I shared about that story in my book just to let people know the cost of freedom. And the reason why we escaped was because the new communist government that took over, took over everything when they took over control in 1975 of South Vietnam. People started escaping because they lost their freedom. They lost their way of living for decades. Under Even under French Indochina, it was, there was still more freedom than under uh, Ho Chi Minh's communism. And what did that look like? What freedoms were being taken away? Freedom of the press. So they took over all, at that time, there wasn't the internet, but there was uh, the uh, radio, there was the written form of communication. And so they were in charge of all of that for the whole country, the communist rulers. And then they took over freedom of religion, First Amendment, no freedom of speech. So if you were to be positive towards the democratic side or the South Vietnam, you would be faced with imprisonment, torture. So all the folks who fought in the South were imprisoned and tortured and persecuted, and they were faced with indoctrination of their minds to, I guess, re-educate them about the positives of communism. So that was what had happened in China. And then it was happening in Vietnam. And in fact, Ho Chi Minh had help not just from communist Russia, but um, Soviet Union, but also communist China had sent military aid to the communists to take over the South. Can you speak to the, the banking? What I heard from my father was that 
people were not allowed to be wealthy. Capitalism at that time was not because if if you were if there was a growing middle class or an upper class, they would not be controlled by the government or that money source. And so they limited everybody's bank account to only two hundred dollars. And so they yeah, you could not have wealth. They came to the homes to confiscate people's wealth. So my father, you know, he had to hide his money in the car and then then that got confiscated. And, and he was just a, a build yourself up kind of young businessman at the time when all this happened. And so it was just very devastating. He did not see a future for his children when they took over the press, speech, as well as education. So, you know, the universities on down, it was all about how great Ho Chi Minh was and how great communism is and all that and how bad the Americans were. Well, it wasn't the Americans they were fighting. They were fighting South Vietnamese who wanted a democracy, who wanted a free government and a free way of life and and a capitalist society. So at that time, with a lot of these authoritarian changes coming on, there were waves and waves of boat people that left. In the 1970s, starting in 1975, um, my family came in 1978, so 1975, people left by helicopter and planes, whoever could hitch a ride with the Americans out. Some of the folk that served in the, the army at that time were luckily able to escape. But there were many that weren't able to. And then the regular folks like us had been left behind. So we built ourselves these little rickety boats to go by sea. And uh, so we endured three nights and two days at sea and landed in Malaysia. And there was a a United Nations refugee camp set up in Malaysia, as well as in Thailand and and neighboring countries. So that's where we stayed for 11 months um, on rationed food and just, you know, with nothing but the shirt on our backs. And some people tried to take their gold with them and that got stolen by pirates if they lived through the storms of the sea. And so it was a... A devastating time. I I believe I did lose some relatives at sea also from what my parents told me later. But it was a devastating time. It was called the the boat people in the 1970s, 80s. And it ended in the 1990s when America normalized relations with Vietnam. And so there was sponsoring some folks over at that time. But Vietnam had kind of changed towards a little bit more free, a little bit more capitalistic in the 1990s in order to normalize relations with the United States. It's still communist and it's still, you know, totalitarian control, but it's, I hear it's not as bad as in China right now. (laughs) It's pretty amazing that your family was willing to go through all of that to flee something that was significant enough for them to say, well, I'm going to put my family with little ones in the water for two, three days. That's very significant. And We definitely want the people who are listening and watching this to hear that, that there was something so significant that your family was avoiding and so many people that they would be willing to get on a boat with little ones, risk death and sickness to come over here for liberty. So you left Malaysia to come here? Yes. And so we were sponsored by a Christian church in a small little town in Plainview, Texas. And that was a miracle in itself because my dad was with five little 
kids under five years old. And my mom had just given birth. And so she couldn't make the trip. So they were going to arrange for her to come later with other relatives. And they ended up, my mom and baby sister ended up in Thailand. And their boat story was even more horrendous because they drifted and their motor got stolen by Thai pirates. And then their Food got stolen, and then finally it was a Thai Navy that pulled them into shore after 10 days. I don't know. That was a miracle in itself. But the, there was a Lutheran church, very small Lutheran church in a very small town, predominantly white, that sponsored our family of, mainly it was my dad and five kids to America in 1979, in September 1979, just in time for me to start first grade. And so, and then later my dad talked with the pastor in the church to to sponsor his wife and baby uh, daughter over. And so we were reunited in January of 1980 when my mom and baby sister was sponsored over to the United States from Thailand, from the camp that they were in. So that was a big ordeal, just, you know, being um, without the language, without the culture, without anything but the shirt on our backs, and just learning everything new. And here was a Christian church. So we had to go to church with them and seeing Jesus loves the little children, <laughs> all these little, you know, because my parents were grateful. They were grateful that, hey, we get a new opportunity at life in freedom in America. And actually, America was not their first choice. It was Australia because Australia was closer to Vietnam and they had relatives in Vietnam. My dad's, you know, mom was still there and other relatives. And so, but Australia, nobody sponsored us. There was no church that stepped up that was going to do something like that. And so that is my love of the church uh, is through my parents understanding that, hey, these white Christians, they're not bad. <laughs> you know, they, they, they did this for us. They helped us get our, our first year in America situated, an apartment and a job and all that. They weren't wealthy. They were smack middle class, working class folks, you know. And so that gave us a positive image of Christians. And then I moved. We moved to California a year after we came to Texas. And that was just to be around better climate, better the culture was it was more diverse. We had more Asian relatives and friends here in Southern California. So uh, that's where I grew up. But I grew up with that understanding that, you know, America wasn't all this like racist and all this you know, society that was just so terrible and Americans were colonized and imperialist. No, I grew up with appreciation for so much freedom we have here. You could choose whatever religion you want or, or don't want. <laughs> you, you, you could you could speak whatever language you could have make a living uh, the whole american dream get educated become successful was still there and so it was hard growing up as penniless immigrant americans um, and my parents who were struggling with depression from having to sustain us as parents and then also try to send money back home to help their struggling relatives because after the vietnam war and the communists took over Capitalism was almost like dead. And so with all this top-down control, and so people were starving, people didn't have enough to eat. Some of the educated folks had left or were leaving, the talents were leaving. And so 
my parents had to support both us, the, the six children here, as well as their relatives in Vietnam. And so it was very hard growing up under the pressure of you had to succeed. And there was no play. There was no, you know, childhood when you grow up as immigrant Americans. And I think it's not just people from Vietnam, but also immigrants from some of the other countries understand this. And, and we, we appreciate America for its freedom and its opportunities. And somewhere along the line, you received Christ. Yes. How did that work out? Was it just through attending church and you just heard the word, the Holy Spirit just impacted your heart? I wrote a little bit about my testimony in my book. So y'all go out and get that. East meets West, parenting from the best of both worlds. It was several points of touch points before I finally surrendered or before God got me. (laughs) Um, That needs to be a bumper sticker. God got me. (laughs) When we left the Lutheran church in Plainview, Texas, uh, we were gifted with like a precious moments. The kids were gifted with precious moments, slates and a little book about, you know, how to accept Christ and my parents were Buddhists, uh, mostly they're cultural Buddhists. My mom would go to the temple at times, but my dad was more of an agnostic. And so it was more of the cultural Buddhist is more about like honoring your ancestors, you know, pay, paying a tribute to your ancestors who deceased and trying to do good. So growing up, we didn't quite go to church when we were in California, but we did visit some, you know, like church during the Christmas time. And there was one time where he got a police uh, parking ticket. It was like, oh, bad taste in his mouth from visiting church. (laughs) But there were several touch points. It was an eighth grade math teacher that loaned me her Bible. I asked for it. Uh, There was a conversation in middle school about Armageddon. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be left in destruction during the end times. I better find out how do I get to heaven? So I I started reading Revelation's first book in the Bible I read. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, America is amazing. I was able to go to Uh, college preparatory school, private school in Pasadena, California, tuition free, just because America's amazing. America has scholarships. America has people that care for the vulnerable, the oppressed. So not just white conservative Christians, but also liberal Christians, too, that, you know, want to increase the diversity and want to give people a hand up. And so I was able to apply for a study abroad during the summer. I chose this communist country (laughs) because I wanted to find out, is it really that bad? You know, growing up in America, you don't know. Is it like a communist that bad? Are they really like propagandists and liars and doing all this rhetoric because my dad was railing against the Democrats, you know, that they were saying all this thing about socialism, communism, how you know, everybody needs equal piece of the pie here. Everybody is going to be need piece of the wealth. And he said all that happened in Vietnam. And that's how they were trying to take over South Vietnam was all this talk about equality. Now it's called equity and everybody equal access to health care, equal access to wealth, equal everything. But they didn't understand that that means loss of freedom, top down, a redistribution of everything. And people didn't get a chance at a meritocratic society where it's efforts, it's, it's, it's your choices. And 
and America is so diverse, so it would be really devastating to bring socialism or communism here. Kim, do you want to finish your testimony before I jump into a question or two of if we fast forward and you're at your wedding day, <laughs> who's there? <laughs> who's there? Okay. In college, I was experiencing this burden of being the only one trying to do good and, and uh, you know, it's just like a, a, a rat race and so I was searching for answers and I had some friends that invited me to their Christian fellowship on campus. And I tried it and I thought, well, Jesus is this intellectual person that wants to teach good. He's a good teacher. But I just never thought of him as God. I met with this university leader on campus and asked him some tough questions. One of the things I was worried about is giving up my mind completely, being controlled, like the, uh, the joining a cult and just being brainwashed. And so one of the things I asked was, you know, what about all these other folks around the world that haven't heard about Christ? Are they going to hell just because they haven't heard about Christ? And uh, he gave me some answers that I thought, hmm, OK, but the main his main testimony was that he had lost his faith. A couple of times, just ha was angry at God, but then God several times brought him back. And so he was saying that when I submit to the Lordship of Christ, surrender, that I would be a new creation. I would be a new Kim, but I would also be the old Kim because the, the whole sin struggles. And that gave me some comfort that it wasn't I wasn't giving up my mind to the point of no return. So I thought, you know, I was struggling so much to be good without having this faith in a good God who loves me intimately. So why not give it a try? Why not just believe? And so just with a childlike faith, just um, prayed the prayer to believe. And I'm so glad I did. That was probably the best thing that's happened to my life was uh, 19, April 1993 uh, when I surrendered and became a Christian. And uh, at that time, I didn't know I, how terrible of a sinner I was. I thought, oh, I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't do this. But since I've learned, I've been missing the mark. So that's how I became a Christian. And then fast forward to 1999, I felt like I needed a change of chapter in my life. And I moved to Texas with nothing, no job, nobody, except for the family that I knew that uh, sponsored me over to the United States. I knew they were here in Texas and Houston area. And so I figured, oh, you know, maybe they could be a source of support and if I'm so far away from my family. And so I asked a friend in uh, Northern California at the church I was going, what church they recommended in Houston. And they recommended Houston's First Baptist or Second Baptist Church. And so I, I moved over here and, and my soon-to-be husband, I did not know, was the son of the Lutheran pastor from way back in 1979. And so we hadn't really met as adults, except for one time when I was in college, came over for his sister's wedding. But that was a family that sponsored you, right? Yeah, yeah. So the eldest son, Philip. And so when I came, he was like a friend and just called. And so, yeah, so somehow just popped the you question. You just a friend, yeah. <laughs> we got married in 2001. So I ended up marrying into the family that had sponsored me way back in 1979. 
Oh, praise God for that. Thank you so much for sharing your testimony and, and your wealth of knowledge. And I love that you answered so many of the questions I was going to ask you within what we just talked about. And I'm so thankful. Things like, do you think it made a difference in, in being able to be patriotic now and feeling free to do that because of where you come from? And what are some of the things that you appreciate about the freedom and liberty here and that other people might think about? And what are some of the things that are not so great about communism? And along those lines, I do want to ask you a question that if you can clarify of what is the difference between socialism and communism? And are they related? Does one lead to the other? So communism is under Karl Marx, who defines it as a, um, and the means of control. The means of production is all under one control. That would be like the government instead of a free market with people doing business and competing against each other. It would be the government decides the economy. The government decides the the growth. Everything. There's just no competition. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're in charge of mass productions and things like that. And so you could see that with, you know, when they control education, they control the press, they control the banking system. You know, there is no freedom of anything, no Bill of Rights. And socialism is really similar to communism, but it's not about using force. It's about voting into a more just society where everybody has a way of being taken care of to each her own. People give according to what they can and and people take according to what they need. I'll have to look it up some more. But the way I understand socialism is that you can you can have a democracy, you can vote, but you can vote yourself into so many laws and so many regulations that essentially you're under communism. So communism is like the state controls everything, including the Second Amendment rights, you know, the the right to bear arms, to be free um, from the tyranny of a government. Socialism is supposedly you have these voting rights, but at the same time, if you vote yourself out of the freedom to protect yourself from a, a tyrannical government, you pretty much essentially have communism, which is very uh, few freedom. And if you really think about it, everybody wants utopia. Everybody wants to be taken care of. Everybody wants a society. Free college. Prosper, free college people. Yeah. But if you think about free will and, and, and what God has given us, we don't all give out the same effort. We don't all have the same talents. We don't all walk the same journey, make the same choices. We all don't have the same families. And so free will allows for the human sin nature. Uh, and and, and that, that's a growth process. You know, I, I learn about my sin nature and hopefully I've matured from my younger days. But Communism and socialism don't take into the fact that people are going to be unequal because people sin differently. People grow and learn differently. We're on different learning curves. And people just sin. It's almost like omitting that people sin. So you're thinking, okay, I'm going to give up all my rights so that everybody has, which is nice in theory, kind of. But then you forget that people sin and they don't, they're not always going to respond to that well. And what are they going to do with that? Take over, take advantage. And who's not going to be greedy? If you could have $10,000 or give your neighbor $10,000, 
how many of us are going to say, we'll give it to our neighbors? You know, I was like, I want it because, I'll, okay, I'll give you some, but I, I want to say some for my kids. And what's wrong with that? You know, taking care of yourself and your own first. And so I think there's this misunderstanding or misconception that under socialism, there will actually be equality of everything and people will actually be happy and their needs taken care of. But that means that every that means that nobody sins, nobody struggles with a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of fear, a little bit of mistrust. And that that's just not the reality. We all have those human nature and human needs to take care of ourselves first, to, to survive and then to thrive. We want ourselves to thrive and our kids to thrive. The reason why there are, I, I believe some socialist countries have done well compared to others is because it's been balanced by religion. For example, England has a uh, constitutional monarchy, not a constitutional, it's a, a monarchy that is part of the church. So the church talks about God-given rights, about God-loving people, and God-creating people. And so with that, the Church of England, there's a balance of power so that it's not all about tyrannical governing over the people, because people are also seen as uh, image bearers of God, worthy of rights, have human rights. I didn't realize, is England considered a socialist country? I didn't realize that. It is. It is. Yes. England, Canada, Australia, because they're all under that monarchy, but it's, uh, but the monarchy is separate from the, the government, the parliament. And then I forget what it's called, but it's not a theocracy where the, they rule, but it's balanced by the religion of the Church of England. Whereas communism in China and Venezuela and Cuba and in Vietnam and Soviet Union, they do away with the freedom of religion and the Christian faith that really tempers out the control of the state. And so they do away with that. So that's why they call it the persecuted church and people have to go in hiding to read the Bible or, or to meet together because the Bible does give us rights. Uh, it does talk about our uh, inerrant rights as children of God. I, I think we really have to think about what does it look like to want to have a utopia that doesn't account for sin and then omits God? Where does that leave us? And if we're already in a, a state where we're trying to have this utopia and we don't account for sin, we're not being, uh, maybe we're being gentle as a dove, but we're not being wise as serpents. And there are other people who are sinful coming in to take over or to take advantage of our humble state. And then now you're, to me, I'm thinking, well, does that lead then to communism? And now communism is not going to allow for God. Communism is not going to allow for there to be a higher power than the government. And, and the government is only made of a few people. It's not like... The middle class, we the people. Communism has never worked in any country in, in the world. If you look through history, it sounds great on paper, but there is always that divide between rich and poor. And that's what happened in the case of Vietnam. There were the government bureaucrats, communists, that were taxing the rest of the country very heavily, at like more than 40% tax, and making all these rules. And they were actually enriching themselves just because they were in power. 
And so there isn't this equality and equity that socialist and American communists think, you know, it's going to be all great for everybody. It's not. I think when people take the Bible and they say, well, you know, isn't socialism promoted in the Bible because the apostles pulled their things together or because it talks so much about poverty and and helping the poor. I think it's really important to remember that biblical justice is an important aspect of Christianity. Absolutely. It's important to God. Now, what that looks like, probably we can dish out a little bit later. But just remember that sometimes when people focus so much on particular scriptures, they forget about all the rest and they don't really have an overview of really what the Bible is sometimes because they just fixate. I think that's what a lot of social justice warriors do. And the other thing to point out about that is that God calls us with the heart. He wants to transform our hearts. He wants us to give generously. It doesn't mean he wants the government to redistribute and force everybody to do the same, you know, make the same, live the same. In Acts, the early church, people were willingly moved by the Holy Spirit to share their belongings. And that's great. If you want to share, no stopping you, you can still do it here in America. You don't need the government to tell you to share. But I think what American socialists and communists don't understand is that once they involve the government, take away our freedom to pick and choose what we do with our money, how much to give to charity, how much to support which charity, and what kind of speech to have, that we're not going to have the the early church that they envisioned where everybody takes care of everybody and pitches into the little potluck. And that didn't last. It didn't last either. My understanding is that that did not last, and there was no command to do that, as you say. And in fact, my understanding is that they missed the mark in in going off and spreading the gospel by doing that, and that didn't work out, so we keep that in mind. And I'm thinking it would be great to have a podcast, a separate podcast episode on the theology that's related to socialism and communism. That'd be great. That's a whole other time. So as we come to a close, I think I have two, I think, quick questions, hopefully. So many people... Say, okay, if you are a patriot and you're Christian, they tag you as Christian nationalists. And it's just a dirty word for so many people. Uh, what would you say to that in regards to is being a Christian who's a, who is a patriot is racist on the level of white supremacy? No. If you are a Christian in Canada and you love your country, you are a Christian nationalist. No shame to that. If you love your country, you want to improve it, you want to get involved in the government, you want to make things better and you are led by God because that's your calling is how to improve society, there should be no shame to that. Canadians can have their Christian nationalists. Vietnam, there's some, there's a growing Christian population there. They can have their Christian nationalists. Venezuela, Mexico, Europe, Spain, anywhere, they can have their own Christian nationalists. There's, that's not a bad word. It just means you love your country. A nationalist means for the country. You love your country and you are a Christian. You're involved. To me, I can be identified as a Christian nationalist and not feel any shame in that. You don't feel you're a white supremacist? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, maybe my husband could be a Christian nationalist and he might be afraid to be London that because of his light skin. But one, he's a Christian loves God and goes by hopefully godly values. We strive our best every day. 
And then two, we love our country. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that we want the sins of the past to continue. We don't want slavery. We don't want segregation. We don't want Jim Crow laws. We don't want anti-exclusion laws against the Chinese or internment against the Japanese or any of the other racism or, or sins or oppressions of the majority to the minority in this country. We have learned from all of those pasts, but we still live in the the greatest country on earth, in my opinion, because because we have a constitutional republic here. Our constitution protects everybody's freedom to either have a religion or not have a religion or choose which religion. It's freedom of religion, not freedom from where you ban any kind of religion like in communist countries. It's freedom of religion. So it's it's great, it's diverse. It's freedom of speech, freedom of association. So if the little communists want to get together and talk about how to improve America, let them, they're, they're here, that's wonderful. Let's, let's have this talk. Let's kind of do it over there. One thing is that you, you don't love your country more than God. That would be against the Christian religion, but you love your country yes, without idolizing yes. it or without putting it above God. Very important. Yeah, and, and just because we love our country and right now it's majority white, 66%, does not mean that we love white supremacy or we love, you know, or we think that white Christianity is better. No. It's just Christianity. We are all a work in progress. We're all Christians. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're working to make our country better. We're not going to be ashamed. America has so many good things going for it. For example, I'm proud of America for helping South Vietnam as much as it did for the cause of freedom, not just in South Vietnam, but around the world. Now, there might be some special interests in the Middle East, but it's still freedom for the people there. And so I'm proud of America. I am not ashamed uh, to be an American. Amen. Thank you for that. Now, I was going to throw out a question, but I think you answered it superbly well, as if you had something to say to the younger people who are, are hoping for the socialism, what would you say? I think you answered all the points very well. So my last question will actually be remind us how they can find out about ACHHS and your book. ACHHS, www.achhs.org. On our website, you can also find us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. And then my book is on Amazon or on Westbo Press. It's called East Meets West, Parenting from the Best of Both Worlds. And I would appreciate your support too. And look out for book number two whenever that comes out. A little bit of pressure there. So let's jump into scripture section. Do you have a scripture that you brought today that pertains to what we discussed that you wanted to share? Yes. I would like to share Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers. So sometimes there's so much division in America, so much polarization, Democrats against Republicans, Black against whites, and this group against that group. I just want to remind everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, that there's all these powers that are uh, taking place in our world, and it's everywhere. It's not just in our country that's causing division. And so for Christians to remember that our fight is not against any particular group of people, even if we get involved in politics, way to go um, to try to support and, and improve our country. 
But remember that it's not the people, it's not the group. It's it's the spirit that's leading them towards the anger, towards the animosity, towards the hostility, towards the justification of evil. The prince of the power of the air. Definitely. Thank you for that reminder. The scriptures that I brought today are Proverbs 14, 12, which is there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So even we really want to have wisdom and discernment when we are and be seeking the Lord, when we're looking at what are our beliefs and what do we want to support. And Psalm 118, eight, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in a man. Remember the God is who we put our hope in. And we always keep that in mind when it comes to discernment of following man. Now, if there is one thing that you would like to have everybody remember just one thing, what would that thing be? There are Christian leaders that will falter because we are human. And so while we get involved in a cause here, join a movement or a cause, we have to remember that our strength and our trust and our peace comes from the God who has promised us that he has saved a place for us in his mansion in heaven. And it's not here. It it just seems overwhelming sometimes when Christians turn out to falter and uh, they disappoint us, our Christian leaders, whether they're the politicians or the pastors or whatever. And it, it seems very overwhelming sometimes for us. But we know uh, the folks who read the Bible that we're not made for this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And that God has called us to a better place where there will be no sin no evil, no corruption, no justification of oppression, no justification of wrongdoing, no deception, no communism. Yeah, just no extreme um, polarization, violence against any people group, however they identify. Thank you for that. And thank you so much again, Kim Parker, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And to our listeners and to our viewers, we thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow us. We're on social media. We're on all your audio podcast platforms and on video. You can find us on YouTube if you want to watch that. We hope that you got benefit out of today. And would you close us out in prayer, Kim, please? Okay. Father God, we just thank you for this beautiful day. And we just thank you for all the blessings we have in our lives, Lord. And I thank you for uh, the United States of America, Lord. We are a young nation, but you have blessed us with a great constitution and great founding fathers, Lord, as imperfect and sinful as they are and have been, Lord. We just, uh, I just thank you for this country that allows me freedom of speech, freedom of religion, rights of association, First Amendment rights, and all of that, Lord, as well as all my fellow citizens here, Lord, and we pray for these blessings for everybody around the world, Lord, that they may be able to uh, live in peace and live with safety, Lord, with live with liberty, God. And I just thank you for what we have here. I thank you for all those who have served our country, who have fought and died for our country, all those who are, are serving our country today. Please protect them, Lord. And I also pray for our Uh, country from within, Lord, as we can be destabilized by ideological forces within, Lord, voices that deceive us and and bring on tyranny in our land, Lord. And I pray for 
your will to be done on earth as it is as it in heaven. I pray for your truth to be known, God, and I pray for your people to uh, be led courageously, Lord, to shine your light of hope and healing into this world. We pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Ciao.